Welcome into the Sunday Nighter on the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News, joined by Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. Recapping Alabama's 42-28 home win over LSU here this evening. A lot to get to for sure. Uh, the Twitter feed for Talking Tide, of course, is Talking underscore Tide. Give us a follow there. You'll get quick links to our twice-weekly podcast covering Alabama's football season here in 2023. Also, you can catch us uh, live on Facebook, live on YouTube. So uh, subscribes and likes there as well, if you please. And of course, anywhere you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, you can find us right here on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Peterbrook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, one fine sponsor, Heat Pizza Bar in downtown government square another more on both of them a little later in the program travis but first uh we try to get our arms around uh a wild win for alabama 42 to 28 a lot of scoring a lot of big plays a little bit of controversy a little bit of everything for you but alabama gets it done travis and and uh you know before we dive into the ins and outs of the game just big picture wise Alabama now can clinch the SEC West with a win in Lexington on Saturday. Georgia can clinch the East at home against Ole Miss next weekend. Uh, so, really, uh, given where this team was and how it was looking in September, pretty remarkable to be sitting 6-0 and in league play here in early November. Yeah, a lot of folks, even after that South Florida performance, Given what we've seen from Alabama over the last 15, 16 years even, didn't like the Crimson Tide's chances of getting to Atlanta in early December, but right there on the precipice now with just needing a win from the two games that are left in conference play with Kentucky and Auburn and a team that continues to improve. We wondered if they would be able to carry over that second half against Tennessee uh, offensively, they were certainly capable of doing that. And as you said, a game that had it all. You know, the first three quarters of the game Saturday night were 14 to seven quarters. It was Alabama 14 to seven after the first quarter. LSU answered with a 14 to seven quarter in the second. Alabama with a 14 to seven in the third. It really was kind of like a a Grand Slam championship in tennis, right? Kind of seven six, seven six, and then. Uh, you get into love, that, you, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you get into kind of those turn, uh, those tiebreaker type scenarios, and in Alabama's defense, finally, and we're going to talk about it. The situation uh, with Jaden Daniels going out there early in the fourth quarter. Uh, Alabama was up 14 points at the time of Daniels leaving the game, but there was still a lot of fourth quarter left to be played. Yeah, let's start right there. That was definitely the play that'll be um, talked about, certainly for a long time, longer in Baton Rouge, certainly than it'll be talked about in Tuscaloosa, Travis. Um, but a couple thoughts on it from my end. The way I saw the game, I think the biggest play of the game was the Terrion Arnold interception. Set up a huge touchdown for the Crimson Tide, turned momentum in a direction where it never really went back the other way. And Daniel's going out certainly had a lot to do with that. But to me, that was the single biggest play in the game. Had Daniels gone out in the same way he went out on the, a vicious hit by Dallas Turner, had that happened in a one score game in the second or third quarter, I would say that 
it would, it would have been the biggest play of the game. But in a two-score game in the fourth quarter, yeah, it was big. I don't think it was Arnold interception big. No, I don't either. I think there were three or four plays in the game that, that and I think you're right. I, I You can't go wrong with the Arnold interception uh, because it wasn't just a stop. It was a setup for the Alabama offense to go right. up those precious two scores. I'll tell you another sequence there in the third quarter because it was all LSU there from the end of the second quarter into that opening possession of the third quarter and LSU goes up 28-21. Alabama's got, I think, a third and 10 out near midfield, and they convert it. You know, they convert the third and 10. Jalen Milrow does his thing, and Alabama's able to go down and get into the end zone to tie that game back up because uh, if that doesn't happen, Alabama gives the football back to LSU right there. Uh, you know, hadn't really seen the Crimson Tide defense slow down. Uh, Jaden Daniels and that offense all that much. So uh, if if LSU goes down and goes up two scores like Alabama did after the Terry and Arnold interception, I think that's a an area you can point to. But absolutely, to get the not only the stop, it was all about stops, how many you could get, but then to get it on the only turnover in the game, I believe, right? It was the only right. turnover to not only produce that, uh, to record that, but to put the offense in a great spot. Yeah, no doubt about it. That was a big, big, big moment. You know, I don't, I certainly would not put it past Jaden Daniels to erase a two score deficit with 13 minutes to go. He's that kind of player and he was having that kind of night. Killed Alabama on the ground, by the way, 160 plus rushing yards. Um, at the same time, though, Travis, the way Alabama's offense was rolling, I don't necessarily that you I don't know I don't know that you can assume that Alabama wouldn't have popped another score in there, right? Because uh had you know had Turner been flagged or you know ejected from the game, Daniel Daniel stays in the game. Let's say he doesn't get uh concussed or doesn't go into concussion protocol, whatever the case might have been. He runs down, scores a touchdown. Well, Alabama's not calling the same plays. Uh, that they ended up calling, you know, the rest of the game. You don't know what would have happened from there for Alabama offensively. And I'll tell you this, if Alabama had put up one more score on top of 42 in that scenario, even Daniels would have had a really hard time. Yeah, and at the end of the night, Alabama got even quarterback play in the game. At least if you want to talk about statistical production, you know, both these guys, it's kind of eerie the lines for Daniels and Jalen Milrow. Now Daniels did his in just pretty much three quarters of work, but a lot of that fourth quarter was about taking the clock. So even from the Jalen Milrow side of things, it was more about Roydell Williams in that fourth quarter and that run game, that interior run game with Jace McClellan and, you know, taking 11 minutes off the clock like Alabama did. But you know, Jaden Daniels, 15 of 24, 219, two touchdowns. Jalen Milrow, 15 of 23, exactly the same number of passing yards, 219. Jaden Daniels runs for a buck 63 and a touchdown. Jalen Milrow runs for 155 and four scores. So that was the one thing LSU really couldn't afford to have happen. And it happened. And then if it came down to which of these defenses in that type of scenario, was most likely to get off the field at the critical junctures. Well, 
you, you figured that would be Alabama, and that's kind of the way it played out. Yeah, we'll stay at the quarterback position and, and break down that Milrow performance. His best rushing effort of the year, hands down, four rushing touchdowns, uh, was an Alabama school record for a quarterback. And, uh, you know, beyond all that, beyond the stats, Travis, to me, he just looked more explosive. I think the week off did something for Jalen Milrose's legs. I really do. I, I mean, just if we're just talking about the eyeball test, I saw a little more juice than, than, than what I had seen prior to the idle week. Decisive, for sure. And then to have that dynamic ability to go with it, he seemed sure of himself. Maybe it was the finish to the Tennessee game. Maybe it's a confidence thing, too. Maybe uh, in terms of his psyche, uh, he's in a far better place than he was earlier in the season. He just seems very sure of himself. And I give Tommy Reese a lot of credit. We've seen this sort of evolution of the offense, different ways in which he's getting personnel involved. Kendrick Law doing some cool things with him in the backfield and kind of as a hybrid skill player on offense. And, you know, this offensive line, too, you know, just continues to begin to look like the group we expected to see earlier in the season. Guys like Jaden Roberts jumping in there at right guard. Uh, I thought Caden Proctor held up pretty well in the game. Again, I give Reese some credit for that because I think there's some things by design they've done more of in the last two games to help Caden Proctor. But, you know, just an all-around really good offensive performance. And the receivers kind of under the radar in this game. But uh, the different guys that they got involved and in, you know, Bond with five catches for 60, Jermaine Burton. You know, you didn't have a lot of guys with 40-plus yards even, but you spread the ball around, and at some big moments, boy, the running backs. How about Jace McClellan with a big, big play for 42 yards? Jam Miller out of the backfield for 35. So um, got explosive plays from a number of guys. Yeah, I think it was a wheel route to Miller right over Harold Perkins' head. Uh, and Perkins ended up turning around and chasing that play down. I mean, pretty athletic of, of, of Perkins there. Uh, but nice play from Milrose. Saban made the comment that that Alabama's doing some things to help the tackles out and pass protection. They certainly gave Milrow, I thought, plenty of time. And this one likes the way Milrow's stepping up a little bit more in the pocket, too. And I think that has kind of begotten a situation for Milrow where – it seems like he's finally looking for the check down a little bit more. Sometimes after the step up, you know, the little dumper to Jace McClellan, for instance, was a huge play. Uh, that's a play that Milrow might have tucked in September, right? Um, you've got uh, – and also on some of these big runs that Milrow broke off, he was holding defenders around the line of scrimmage uh, with a little pump fake or at least a little look. Uh, toward a check down receiver and that kind of opened things up for him. And, and, and I, I think he's, I tell you what, if he starts developing a comfort level with doing that Nick Marshall kind of stuff, you know, in the running game and, you know, these, these, these late throws at the line of scrimmage, when you get somebody to get, you know, sucked up and out of position, he, he could be really dangerous. Yeah, and I thought that was even a positive on the incompletion when he missed Bond, who was wide open on the extended play. You know, at least he had his eyes up and saw him and you know, just missed on the throw. And even on, I think it was the next snap, he did the same thing. He ran up into the pocket. He had McClellan out in the flat. 
and the threat of him maintaining passer status for as long as he did made the corner for LSU stay out there right? W- with McClellan. You know, if he doesn't think that it's even a possibility that Milrow may flip it out there, he's going to go ahead and just, you know, come up and try to make the play on Jalen. But it helped create that space for him that he needed to score on the play. You notice, too, and it's not just Milrow, but anytime you've got a, a quarterback, especially a really skilled RPO guy with experience at it, Sometimes they can sling that pump fake when they're a yard and a half or two yards downfield. The defense will still bite. You know, they, they, they're not that aware necessarily of, oh, this guy's over the line of scrimmage, right? I mean, they, they know roughly where he is, especially if we're talking about a DB who's downfield. Um, but, you know, the um, that, little, that little fake for a quarterback is something that, now obviously you can't pull the trigger and throw it past the line of scrimmage. But you can still mess with the defenders, even if you're at it or even a hair past it. Yeah, Tom Brady used to do it. Even though you knew Tom Brady ran the 40 and like 5-1 as a way that he would manipulate defenders, he would still, on occasion, when he navigated the pocket or kind of drifted up and in and out, uh, he would do it to defenders. And, you know, you're right. Jalen did it on more than one occasion. Did it Harold Perkins. Yeah. on a play right by the Alabama bench where he gave him just enough. It wasn't a lot and Perkins didn't slow down a ton, but it was just enough that it allowed uh, Milrow to pick up an extra eight, nine, 10 yards. couple of huge sequences in the first half. Certainly we should touch on Travis. One I thought was really big. Alabama's first scoring answer down seven, nothing. Uh, they get the 23-yard run by Milrow around left end, I believe, to not to score 7-7. I think a quick answer was kind of needed there, right, after that big early strike on the deep ball from LSU. And uh, it only took – it was almost like – remember the beginning of that 08 SEC championship game when Florida just shot down and, and, and grabbed a really quick early touchdown – and then John Parker Wilson came right back down the field, hit Julio Jones on that big post pattern. Uh, it, it's kind of a message, you know. Our offense is here too. Um, that's what I kind of took from that from that first touchdown drive. Alabama was was able to put together right on the back end of of that opening strike. Yeah, I mean for for Alabama, it, it's gotten to the point where you're not really expecting opening possession touchdowns and that was the case again on Saturday night you know didn't score a touchdown on that opening possession but got a first down or two but absolutely urgency was going to be everything in this game uh, because possessions you figured would be precious so once LSU got off to that early lead and still had the hammer coming out to start the second half it was imperative for Alabama to go get in the end zone and I like that on the first down play that Milrow scored on they went with a design quarterback run. Didn't really screw around. Didn't just kind of run something basic and then you're second and seven. Now what are you going to do? Um, that was a design quarterback run where you, know, you kind of pin down with the receiver, bring Amari Nyblack around, and you know he gets his guy, and it was pretty easy for, for Jalen Milrow from there. LSU – Touchdown pass at the end of the half, definitely a huge play as well. Travis, obviously, uh, that was a real downer for Alabama to go in like that because LSU, I believe there was only 101 left on the clock when LSU took over that possession. 
they zip right down the field. They get the touchdown and I think 56 seconds, so five seconds left on the clock. And it's a play where if Alabama can can just make a tackle, uh, I'm pretty sure LSU was out of timeouts. Don't know that they're able to – I don't think they'd be able to get the field goal off uh, in that situation. Maybe does so. It, does the clock I, – I, now, I know the rule changed. It's, yeah. it's the last two minutes of each half on first downs, the clock stops, right? Right. It's not just the second half. I suppose so, – so with a first down there, if the clock does stop inside two minutes, yeah, you can still maybe get the field goal. But that was that was okay at that point because what was worse really was that you had LSU in third and nine backed up with about 35 seconds left. Right. And Daniels gets out the gate and crushes you. Yeah, you know, you've got Christian Story in the middle of the field. He's got great coverage on Brian Thomas. The problem is he's got his back to Jaden Daniels, who's just sprinting up the middle of the field. And look, you know, for both these teams, with what these quarterbacks were able to do with their legs, boy, guys like Deontay Lawson, guys like Jihad Campbell, guys like Spates and Penn for LSU, rough, rough night to be a linebacker against these guys they shouldn't call them spies they could they should call them goats i mean i don't just i don't just mean in this game no uh, it's it's brutal those spies have got a tough job with quarterbacks like this travis i mean yeah and i I, that would that would push me to golf probably more than anything not that i'd ever have (laughs) to worry about playing linebacker in the sec but um it's a tough 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 gig safeties too man the way that these offenses put you in a bind now and uh put you in conflict yeah it's it's a thankless you wonder why all these kids want to play offense more and more it's harder to find quality defensive players more than ever well saturday night's a good example why they like to score. There's no all the youth coaches will tell you they all run to that wide receiver line. Well, and, they, and they don't want to go viral on YouTube or the gram for getting faked out of their cleats. Right. You know, too. I mean, it's it's rough to play defense more than ever. Special teams wise, Travis, Will Reichard, first couple of misses of the season, 47 and 43. Phenomenal season, phenomenal career for Will Reichard. Not the game you want to finally break a remarkable streak that goes back 13 months almost, Travis. Last time before Saturday, last time he'd missed a field goal was Tennessee in Knoxville, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, tip of the cap for sure for the run he was on. Uh, as it turned out, though, this this was a game where Alabama was able to punch in enough sevens that it did not matter. It didn't. Uh, did a nice job in the red zone of scoring touchdowns when they had opportunities. Um, you know, that that second one was maybe more surprising than even the first because he thrives in those situations. I know you can look back to the Tennessee game last year and talk about the 50-yarder, um, but that was an in-game situation. It makes that when the game is definitely over. It was pretty much over. Uh, but when you've got a kicker like that on a fourth and one, instead of going for it, which a lot of college teams would do, even in that situation, you feel good about it. So it was it was extremely rare to see him have those kind of struggles. But again, in the same manner in which he bounced back from the Tennessee kick a year ago, I fully anticipate that's what he'll do after this. All right, the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Moving on, we're going to thank a couple of sponsors now here really quickly. We're going to start 
telling you all about Heat Pizza Bar. No better place to get pizza in Tuscaloosa than Heat Pizza Bar, located in Government Square, 2256th Street. They got that outstanding public parking garage right behind, so it's always easy to get a parking spot. Not easy to get parking downtown much anymore, but you can definitely park uh, to your heart's content if you want some of that Heat Pizza. And I'll tell you what, it's the best pizza in town. I love the standard. I love the Thai chicken pizza, especially. They've got a wide selection uh, of signature pizzas. Also, a full bar, flat screens all over the place with all the biggest sports running. Weekends, weeknights, you name it. Head over there. Uh, great cocktail specials, too. You can catch them for happy hour in the afternoon, 2 to 6 p.m., $3 off uh, cocktails. Actually, 11A to 10P. Uh, and two to six, you can get those specials on the pizza. Some of those pizzas as cheap as, as eight bucks. You just cannot beat that. Over at Heat Pizza Bar, once again, 2256th Street in Government Square. I'm going to tell you about Peterbrook Chocolatier out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. There is that chocolate wheel, and they'll do milk chocolate. They'll do white chocolate and they'll do dark chocolate fresh right there for you at Peter Brook. That chocolate covered popcorn continues to be the signature item for Peter Brook, but the chocolate footballs never a better time of year than to secure one of those than right now. Got the holidays coming up. Any, any Thanksgiving spread is not complete without some Peter Brook. Make your loved ones, make yourself happy. Treat yourself at Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. The champions of chocolate, Peterbrook Chocolatier. I've been known to treat myself over at Peterbrook. <laughs> it's, ha- it's happened a couple I, yeah, of times. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, like, we- I'm like the Hamburglar in there, you know? <laughs> That's right. Yep. Walk out of there with fat pockets. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right, the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Moving on, quick look around the Southeastern Conference. As we do to close out each and every podcast, uh, we'll jump in that two-deep tumbler before we get out of here as well, Travis. Uh, Georgia-Mizzou, probably the biggest game in the league outside of Alabama-LSU. The Bulldogs get it done 30-21, to the final score. Mizzou hung with them for a while, for sure. Uh, I thought Brady Cook looked really good in some spots, but uh, the Bulldogs, once again, just too much. Makes 26 straight, Travis, the win streak for Georgia, going back to a 2021 SEC title game loss to Alabama. That's the last time Georgia's dropped one. I think that's been maybe the key to the streak. You know, not seeing much of Alabama or a lot of the SEC West in general, not to put an asterisk by it because it's still phenomenally impressive, but we do know the East isn't quite the West and not that it maybe would have mattered, but yeah, I I give Missouri credit too, man. The last couple of times they've played Georgia off their feet, really should have won the game in Columbia last year, let that one get away. And then I thought physically where I, I kind of, felt like Missouri would come up short on the lines of scrimmage. They really didn't. They hung in there pretty well throughout the game. So credit to Eli Drinkwitz and and the Missouri Tigers, who you know, still are in great position to to go to a, a bowl game of choice. I really like that Lad McConkey's game. He's such a difference maker for that offense, Travis. And and you know, the timing has been perfect for Georgia because 
if you remember, McConkie had some back issues yep. early in the season, and he was slow out of the gate. And uh, Georgia's offense, I think part of the reason Georgia's offense um, hiccuped a little bit in the early part of the season was because McConkie wasn't the same guy. Well, he starts to he starts to find his fifth gear around midseason, and then you lose Brock Bowers to start tight end, and it's almost like McConkie's like, hey, I'm, I'm ready to go throw it my way. He is, and he can get over the top. He can do it on the intermediate routes. Uh, really good all-around receiver. He's good on the tunnel screens, too, which is a favorite of the Georgia offense. And, you know, it times out perfectly with Brock Bowers out that you've got a Dom Lovett, a Missouri transfer, ironically enough, who comes up big for you. Ra-Ra Thomas you bring in from Mississippi State. So I think on the outside, Georgia's in about as good a shape as it's been in quite a, a few years. Uh, and now it's just a question of when can the dogs get Brock Bowers back into that thing? So Ole Miss give Georgia more of a game than Missouri did, you think? Uh, I don't see it because I wondered if Missouri could hang in up front. And again, credit to Missouri. I thought they did pretty well in that regard. I just don't see it with Ole Miss really at all. Now, you know, Lane can scheme and cover for some things that way. Uh, but especially on the defensive side, I just feel like this is a game that kind of like Alabama a couple of years ago in Tuscaloosa against Ole Miss when it just took the air out of the ball, like held it for 40 minutes. Yeah. I think if Georgia wants to do that Saturday, it can. It, it may not be to the uh, liking of the fan base entirely where Mike Bobo is concerned, but I don't think Georgia has to to reinvent the wheel, put it that way, to get the job done. Speaking of Ole Miss, Travis, 38-35 winners over Texas A&M. That game was definitely tight at the end. Uh, Ole Miss able to pull it out. Um, rough one again for Jimbo. I tell you, it, it's uh, it's been a forgettable year for Jimbo Fisher, no question about it. But Lane Kiffin uh, with a couple of dig, look, a couple of veiled digs on A and M during the week, and veiled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as veiled as Lane can veil them. Relative to Lane, they were veiled. Anybody else, they would be just straight talking ish, you know. But no, it, it looked like maybe Lane was going to have to eat some of them there for a minute, boy. But uh, Ole Miss gets the job done. It is. It's tough for A and M. And, you know, you can say what you want about Jimbo and, and the shortcomings and the underachievement, but I watched that team this year. And when I've watched A&M, it hasn't been an effort thing. You know, they're, they're just not very good on the back end of that defense. We saw Alabama take advantage of it. Um, Ole Miss was able to take advantage of it. Uh, and then offensively, they still go through these stretches where, you know, there's not a lot going on, but you score 35 even against Ole Miss and that offense with A&M's front seven, you feel like that should be enough to get the job done on the road. Arkansas 39-36 in overtime, Travis. Sam Pitt, maybe conceivably a job saver or maybe a piece of a job saver for Sam Pittman. Uh, big win, and Arkansas has played in a lot of close. They've lost five games this year by seven or less, including the Alabama loss, by the way. Uh, so you kind of like to see Sam Pittman get over the top in one of these close games. Turns out Florida's a victim in overtime. 
First win in Gainesville ever for the Razorbacks. And I do. I think Sam Pittman's safe as kittens for 2024 now. I, I think he probably was coming back anyway because when you look at his buyout number especially, he they just backed the Brinks truck up to him mm-hmm. a year or two ago. So I think he's in good shape. But, yeah, more than anything, you're happy for him. You're happy for K.J. Jefferson who came back. You had the turnover on that offensive staff during the bye week. That looks like a good move and doing away with Dan Enos and uh, going with Kenny Guyton in a elevated role. So, yeah, good for the Hogs on that one. Tough one for Billy Napier. I, I think Billy Napier's fine too because he's got the promise of a recruiting class and a recruiting effort in general. But uh, it probably expedites the heat by about a year. If he had an eight and four this year, that mm-hmm. probably gives him for sure two more years. But, you know, Florida now gets Missouri. Florida gets LSU this week on the road, then goes mm-hmm. to Missouri on the road, and then wraps up against Florida State. Florida has five wins. That's why Saturday was so important to the Gators. They right. needed that sixth win because there's absolutely nothing guaranteed for that team as far as six wins is concerned now. No, no, there's not. And I on Pittman's contract, I think I've read that there's an interesting little twist in his buyout clause, by the way, whereby if he if his overall record fell to like 500 or less, he could be fired for like half of the buyout would be like 50 percent of future earnings. Uh, whereas if he was above 500, it goes to like 75% of future. That's 5 million bucks. That's a $5 million difference on that buyout. And I think the Florida win clinched that 75% figure for him. If if they did decide they want, it's going to be an extra five mil now to get rid of them. Now that they beat Florida, if I read that right. And I think that fan base, they truly like Sam Pittman. It'd be a lot easier if he was Petrino like in terms of off the field or his persona, right? You want Sam Pittman to do well. You know, pretty much everybody does. And I think that's certainly the case within that fan base. No doubt about it. All right, before we get out of here on the Talking Tide podcast, we're going to hit this two-deep tumbler. Uh, pretty good timing here, Travis, with just a couple of games left to go, three games left on Alabama's schedule. We're now down to uh, just five balls left in the, in the tumbler, uh, which we've been picking at since the summertime. Uh, this week, what comes out is number five, Roy Dell Williams, the Alabama uh, running back. Uh, played pretty well for Alabama. We didn't touch a ton on the running game for Alabama. We touched on it some. Uh, he looked good. McClellan looked good. Travis, I, I, I thought it was a, a big game for Alabama's offensive line primarily in terms of run blocking. But but uh, Roy Doe got some some tough yards for Alabama between the tackles for sure. He did, and we were talking about that sequence where I think it's 28-21 and, and Jalen converts the third and long there to maintain that possession. And then right after that, Alabama just gashed LSU really between the guards. And Jaden Roberts was great. Seth McLaughlin did some really good things. The tight ends contributed. Tyler Booker really the entire front and Roydell is a guy a couple of years removed from that knee injury you talk about confident and how he runs the football and gets behind his pads and finishes runs with authority very decisive 
he gave them a real boost there, especially in the second half Saturday night. Burton Burns would have been a Roy Dell Williams fan just by the way he likes to get up field. You know what I mean? Burton was a one cut get up field kind of running backs coach. And, and, and that's what you see from Roy Dell. You do. And he can also do some good things in pass protection and as a receiver, but yeah, he was decisive. He was powerful and he made Harold Perkins on the touchdown run. I thought make a business decision because Perkins had a shot at Roydell there in the hole and he went low and Roydell did a nice job of keeping his feet clean and kind of stepping through that and scoring pretty easily. So good job by everybody involved there. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Be sure to join Travis and I once again on Wednesday night when our midweek podcast previews the Crimson Tide's upcoming road game in Lexington against those Kentucky Wildcats. Until then, for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News. And we'll talk to you in uh, three days right here on Talking Time.